all guys gals and non-binary pals welcome to the newest episode of the noobs and knockouts podcast taped live at the twitch and brought to you on youtube on spotify on google and apple podcasts i'm austin i'm a knockout i've watched a lot of wrestling i'm david i'm a noob haven't watched nearly as much wrestling but i'm at least 50 wrestling units in so let's go baby yeah this is this is our 50th episode uh episode I'm, treating 50! It, I'm treating it as a quasi uh anniversary show one year yeah. anniversary show close enough close enough but either way this is a big number and this is super exciting how that we've where we've been a, basically a year into this yeah, over a year at this point mm-hmm uh, I David has gone from being but a noob, my my friend who just like listens to me ramble about wrestling every once in a while and is like, this seems neat. So now yeah. he's a fan. Yeah, now I ramble at, about wrestling to other people. The cycle perpetuates it's, itself. It's, it's, it's very much like a virus. It really <laughs> I have been infected with the wrestling virus far deadlier than any Rona out there. Maybe mm-hmm. it is it is deeply, deeply infectious, and uh, I hope one day to be the ultimate super spreader. Oh, dear. This, this, this podcast, it is my goal for this podcast to be the number one super spreader, okay? Put that on a shirt. Out of complete, great out of context quote. <laughs> I see absolutely nothing wrong with that statement okay to be fair that statement also makes no sense out of context (laughs) exactly exactly so you so so it's it's the best kind of quote no sense in context or out of context uh some sense in context and in both contexts vaguely disturbing fair so what are we gonna do today is that's a great question we have like our 25th episode was uh hulk rules great times were had no guests today instead what we're doing today is a very special idea that i've had for a couple of months now uh it is a it is we are doing a mystery i have been inspired by uh other podcasts that do these kind to do reviews of various content and they do it completely randomly and i'm like hey what if we did that with our thing and as thankfully on the internet there are random wwe network generators show generators where they just randomly give you something that's on the wwe network Mm -hmm. It's a little out of date now because, you know, they've moved to Peacock, so nothing gets added to the WWE Network anymore. But that's good because I don't really want to do anything newer than May 2021 anyway. hey So, what are we... So, we're what we're going to do is we're going to randomly... We're going to use this little generator, and we're going to get a random episode of Wrestling TV to watch. This is legit. I didn't pre-pick it. I don't know what we're going to watch. I don't know how much I'm going to know about what we're going to watch. Oh, man, this is wild. This is yeah. wild, dude. I, I, it's wild to me that there's, like, actually a generator for this specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of them actually exist on the internet for people to be like, hey, I just want to watch a match. Yeah. Uh, just somebody sit pick, down and watch some yeah. wrestling. Just, so just pick it, pick it for me. Somebody Network. RNG this. Yeah, RNG, right. 
And so, um, before we I, I do the roll, and we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this randomizer live on this show. If you're yes. watching the video version of this podcast, I'm actually going to share my browser screen and I'm gonna pull up the website on the camera. Yeah, baby. But here's some two main ground rules before we start. Number one, we're not doing anything that I already have on my calendar for this podcast to do. Okay. That's because I have plans and ideas here, and I yep. don't want to ruin that by this random generator fucking thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing that's probably the most relevant is that me and David, as usual, have a limited time to record this week. If you haven't been with us during our po our episodes with, with uh, pay-per-views, then we generally, what we do with those is we cut them down to a couple of hours. Obviously, because I'm doing this live on the spot right now, I can't do that. Yep. So if we draw something that is a pay-per-view or likely an episode of Raw after they went to three hours. Three hours, fuck. I can't believe our first episode of the show was us watching one of those Raws, actually. Yeah, that was And so our first wild. one with Claire was, and, was oh, also one of that, one of those was it? length episodes. That yeah, because 20... Yeah, Christmas 2012 would have been three-hour Raws by that point. Wait, they went they went three hours as early as 2012? Oh. Yeah, uh, June 2012 was when they went to three hours. God, I thought it was later than that. I forgot. Damn. My whole my whole fandom has been basically when it was three hours because I, I started watching in January 2012. Man, anyway. God bless AEW for having manageable show lengths. God bless SmackDown for going to three hours too. Yeah, true. <clears throat> So if we get something like that, then I will re-roll because we don't really have time to watch the full-length version of any of that today. Unfortunate. Now, of course, mathematically, odds are decent that I'm not. This isn't going to be a problem because there's a lot of matches on the network. Yeah. But just want to go ahead and throw that out there of our um, restrictions to when I say random, and yeah. if we hit one that is going to be a problem, then I'm just going to re-roll it. And we'll dry and we'll watch that. Perfect. Works for me. All right. Time to share the screen. Let's get whoa. Okay. Oh, this is, shit, this baby. is a, where we are now. Uh, for people who are listening, we are on a Reddit page that uh, has the link to the network uh, randomizer. And here it is. We are now on the random generator. Now, obviously, just pulling it up already gives it something, gives me an answer here. Here is his. An episode of WCCW from 1985. But I would rather have like a real spin moment to it. So this is just showing off this little random generator hoo-ha. Yeah. All right. Uh, so time to spin the wheel. And okay. Tonight. Wait. I don't wait. I don't see. Watch. Wait. I wait. 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 Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. I don't see a. Uh, I just see the generator page. I don't see the. I don't see the the wheel. Oh, did that not come up? It didn't come up. Oh, that's sad. Okay, this is this is sad. I had this whole thing. The page didn't come up. Uh, on share screen. I don't know why, to be honest. But unfortunate. So what we are gonna watch today? Holy shit! Oh no! Is an episode of WCW Monday Nitro 
Oh from my God, are you kidding me? February 12th, 2001. Wait, what? Oh my Lord. We're going to be in the middle of the death knell of, okay, I, I'm going to stop sharing screen. We're going to talk about this a little bit. What I do know about it and what I can tell you is going on here. Some context. Wow. Okay. We, especially considering that our last episode and our one of our major story arcs we just finished was kind of a, was a the rise of WCW Nitro. The rise the and the and the look. It's already very clear how the fuck this is going to fall of WCW. So, what we're going to watch today is an episode of Nitro from 2001. Now, for oh, some no. people who don't know the full wrestling timeline, WWE buys out WCW and thus ends Nitro at the end of March of 2001. This is the death knell. This is the final outwakes of WCW. We are going to be in the last days of WCW. And 2001 is kind of, I've always heard is a fascinating time because it's basically like WCW figured out their own shit, but it was too late. Uh-oh. So, so I'm curious. So... I can't give you a lot of context for this episode, but I can give you a context for WCW in 2001, uh, which is to say it's not going great. Um, basically, the to not give away too much from future talk conversations about the NWO storyline, basically it got too overbloated and... They had some key narrative moments where they could have paid it off and they didn't and they decided to keep it going. And uh -oh. that along with the WWE hitting a creative, hitting kind of its own kind of high peaks in the Attitude Era drove a lot of their audience away. Um, they tried to fix this problem in 1999 by hiring Vince Russo away from WWE to become their head writer and it went disastrously Two thousand, the year 2000 in wcw is like one of the greatest comedy of errors that exists in wrestling history it's a company throwing shit at the wall hoping anything would stick and none of it does it's it's vince russo with absolutely no creative filters allowed to just do whatever stupid idea comes to his head oh no and we could talk all about how terrible that, that was but we're actually but we're not doing wcw 2000 by 2001 vince russo had already left wcw he mm. didn't really enjoy being there it was a creatively stressful job and the ratings were shit and he and his crass style of writing kind of rubbed Turner Brass the wrong way. Okay. And it, he basically wanted out of wrestling, and so he left. And so he left WCW by the end of the year in 2000. And so by this point, there Eric Bischoff, I believe. No, Eric Bischoff isn't creatively. Eric Bischoff is also retired from being creative at this point. Because okay. it also stressed him out. Yeah. And so I don't rem I don't remember who's running the company at this point. But 
somebody is and they're putting on tv that's the and but probably the more relevant thing to talk about is that by this point uh if you know your big business bad business mergers of the er, of the early 2000s then you know that by now time warner and turner media have already merged and then they merged with aol uh, <laughs> oh fuck i forgot about that yeah this was a uh this isn't a podcast about bad about bad business moves but to say it to make it quick it was terrible and didn't work <laughs> Uh, as it as it relates to WCW, the two mergers pretty much pushed Ted Turner out of power in Ted within Turner Media. He basically became at best a figurehead Oof. of the company. And once that and once Ted Turner didn't have the unilateral ability to veto anybody wanting to get rid of WCW, well, it wasn't long for the world, especially when under in the year 2000, the company lost a fuck load of money. Like we're talking like, I forget if it's $30 million in 20 in 20, 2000 or $50 million in the year 2000. Fuck. It was bad all around. And as, and one more final nail of the coffin really is you look at Jamie Kellner, who who was an executive for it at Time Warner who took over it around this time and wanted to completely revamp all of their uh, Warner media broadcasting and he had absolutely no time for this stupid fucking wrestling stuff. Oh God. So the year 2000, 2001, especially around this time, basically Eric Bischoff was trying to, he had a group of investors and he was hoping to buy WCW away from okay. Turner Media. And I don't remember the exact timeline of when Turner did this, but I'll tell you why it failed. It failed because WC because in this point in time Turner just straight up canceled WCW Nitro. And because of the fact that they couldn't get any assurances that WCW would still be airing on TV, Eric Bischoff's investors backed out. Their WCW had no vow, had no worth without having a TV contract. So WCW has no value to anybody except for one company without a TV show. The yep. only, and thus the only company that has any value to them is the WWE. So, so it was, I mean, look, I understand that the mm -hmm. way this started to work kind of past the eighties was that the big money was in TV. You got money out of touring, but the mm -hmm. big money was in TV, but really it had absolutely zero worth for what it presented on tour, zero worth for the potential it could have to be put back on TV. Nothing. Yeah. Eric Bischoff couldn't get anybody to Eric Bischoff was basically caught between a rock and a hard place here. He couldn't get his investors involved because they wanted to have an assurance that they would be on TV. He couldn't get any TV company to pick him up because he had no assurances that he had investors to buy the company. Okay. Damn. When you say comedy of errors. <laughs> yeah, it was basically, he tried, Eric Bischoff was basically selling the idea of having a TV show 
and money to having <laughs> money like he was selling the idea of hat like when he was pitching to other tv networks about wcw he was pitching hypothetical money the hypothetical money only coming in if they agree to take his tv show he had no wow. he had no he had no guarantees on either side of the equation jesus that's a desperate move mm-hmm. oh buddy uh one final little piece to this equation of course also is that uh remember that lawsuit way back with uh good with the about the outsiders yeah part of the resolution of that lawsuit that took years by the way gave wwe i don't i don't know if it was full right of first refusal but wcw had to offer them their if they were going to sell they wwe had to be given an offer what the fuck wait what again i I'm, I'm a little shaky on some of the details of this of this lawsuit but that is there was that was a direct connection to all of this which is all to say that wcw was sold to the wwf in march of 2001 for about five million dollars that's it okay so who did that payout go to eric bischoff Turner, because Turner still owned WCW. Uh, This, like, it was an extremely small investment, and multiple wrestlers have made jokes before that, like, if they had known how cheap WCW was, they would have made an offer. But essentially it went for so cheap because all that exists are the pre-existing wrestler contracts and the WCW IP and tape library which is not of super huge value to anyone that isn't looking to do wrestling. Okay, this is wild to me. So the lawsuit took years. Like, how many years are we talking? Like, it kind of, it didn't resolve till the year 2000. They fought, in, they, fought in court, they fought in court over this for four years. Jesus. Okay. I... The the fact that the the right of first refusal thing had to have been on purpose, like mm-hmm. like Jesus Christ, what a okay, I don't know the full details, but God, this had to have been some some purposeful move on the part of the WWE to seize on what WCW had to offer. Like they had to know the writing was on the wall for the death of the company. And they had to know that they had assets that they could, that they could use and wrestlers that they could Mm -hmm. use. Um, And more, moreover, they would then have control of one of the most popular long running storylines in the entire history of wrestling. That was the whole reason they got, into this situation in the fucking first mm-hmm. place. This like is even, be, even beyond just storylines. WCW was their last major competitor on the marketplace from the territory days. They were the one territory that never died. And then, and this was an, and buying WCW was WWF's ability to finally win. They, WWF had to have put the right of first refusal clause on on the table, right? That had to have been that. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty confident that was their call. That was yeah. that was one of their that was one of their stipulations. Oh my god! So this was a move that was that was being made very much on purpose. 
holy shit, that's diabolical. Mm-hmm. And kind but, of poetic, and like kind of poetically tragic on the part of WCW. Like it like is the fa- the fact that it the fact that they got themselves into this situation in the first place by creating the thing that would give them any semblance of competition with the WWF was what ultimately set the stage for the final nail in their coffin. That's insane. Yeah, it a hundred percent. But for now we are going to February, 2001 where the company is just kind of, again, they're trying to just move on. Right. They've gotten over the hump of 2000. That was a disastrous year for everybody. And please, please, let's not try to remember it too fondly. Uh-huh. But they're a company that it's a company that like knows that it doesn't have a lot of future. Its future looks bleak, but yeah. it's not for sure yet. And they're and they want and they're just trying to keep the keep the wheels going while they still can. Yep. That's so freaking wild. But anyway, uh, to get back to the wrestling, I don't know anything about WCW 2001. I mean, I know like the big players in my head. I can tell you some of the big wrestlers, but in terms of like storylines or what everybody's doing, I don't know, man. So this oh, shit. is this is going to be exciting for to for me to be able to give a perspective of something that I don't really have a lot of fore, foreknowledge on. That's so wild. It's 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 a it's a completely infoless front half in terms of in mm-hmm. terms of storyline. We're both going in blind now. Yeah, oh, kind of just filled the time talking about the death of WCW since well, we're here now. <laughs> the the serendipity is insane. I know. I could. I, it was completely random. Again, I wish that the sh- screen share would have worked and you could have seen it. But like legit, could just press the randomizer button. Did not plan that. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. All right. Well, if you would like to watch the February 12th, 2001 episode of Nitro with us, then you can do that by Peacock, WWE's American streaming service uh, partner. Yes, Peacock is kind of trash, but it's all you got. Uh, $4.99 a month with ads, $9.99 a month without ads gets you access to all of WCW's uh, network f- content. And having and as a, having that WCW tape library, very helpful to the network. Yep. Yep. Bit of a boom. Uh, yep. Uh, one last thing I'm going to throw out there. I don't know if by this point WCW had bought ECW, but we're close. If if they haven't done it already by February 2001, they were almost there. So WCW bought up ECW and then both got absorbed into the WWE. Oh no, excuse me, WWE bought. Okay, ECW. excuse me. Okay, is by now if they, if if ECW hasn't been absorbed into WWE, we're have not they far already away from had that. a ton of like ECW stuff on anyway. Like wasn't the whole like Jeff Jarrett thing ECW or the what what was the what was that like external title that uh, we watched? NWA. NWA. That's, oh, that's okay. Different. Okay. But ECW. Um, I'm not going into that history, but suffice it to say, by 2001, it was also hanging on by its last licks. Yeah, you've hinted at it before. 
Yeah, because I've been trying to save a history of it for when we actually do an ECW episode. Uh, but basically, 2001 was WWE's built chance to buy both of its biggest rivals at the same time. Jesus. Well, good for you, Vince. Glad you uh, got yeah. your, glad you got your birthday presents or whatever. Good times. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you in the back half. Or we'll be talking about WCW in the year 2001. Oh boy. Yep. And we are back. We have just finished the February 12th, 2001 episode of WCW Nitro. And this whole random thing was a mistake. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. Look, I'm, I will go into... I'm, I'm going to make this mean something by the end of this episode. Okay. But for now, let's just let's just um, revel in the fact that what we just watched was oh that was that was that was an episode of wrestling. Yep, uh, among the many episodes of wrestling I've watched, that was certainly one of them. That's man, I have now officially watched fifty units of wrestling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, uh, I can't even give it that distinction in reality. We've done double episodes, and I've watched wrestling things outside of stuff for this podcast. So, yeah, oh yeah, man. But... Anywho, but oh, yeah, boy. oh yeah, this was a time when you said death knells of WCW. You weren't kidding. This this was a little more dead than I thought it was going to be. I thought I didn't. I thought the corpse had a little bit more life in it. It, that's the thing. I think, I think you're touching on something when you're referring to the, the lack of life in the corpse. Because, man, this has no life in it. This had no vivacity, no very little energy. It just seemed to be going through the motions. Yep. Like, like stuff is just kind of happening. Stuff, and it doesn't help that we're just thrown into the middle of this with very little context. But like half half of it, I don't think would be better if I even if I was following along. Yeah, like you're kind of able to pick up via context clues what's going on, and none of it seems compelling. Like I was thinking, I was thinking about this it, toward the end of the episode. We get what DDP versus freaking. Uh, Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. And, and Canyon. You see, well, that's, well, well, one of the, that, that's one of the few I think if I was following along, I might care more. Potentially. But, but like, yeah. I was looking at that one specifically, and it got me in the mind of something that actually happened this week in AEW um, with CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. And thinking about that, now, sure, you give the example, you think you, this is one you think might be better in context, but like, if you were to sit somebody down in front of these two promos, a different person, one person sits down in front of one promo, other sits down in front of the other promo, no context given to either of them. If you sat them down in the middle of that, the person watching Jarrett and DDP would be like, okay, it's just two dudes yelling at each other. Person watching fucking Punk versus Kingston would be like, holy shit, these two dudes are yelling at each other and they're going hard. Like, 
even if with context the whole thing will probably be better because ddp and canyon probably and and jared who i guess is involved in this are, are good wrestlers like mm-hmm. there's still there's still a lack of energy to it and it still feels like it's going through those motions and not really putting much thought into what it's presenting so even if it did have works better with context i feel like the substance still just lacks so hard yeah and like oh boy the I our first time going through WCW, you put a lot of emphasis on 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 presentation of mm. WCW of Nitro and how and how you thought that was kind of exciting and interesting. And yeah, this is not that. It's, oh, this is presentationally, a it's disaster. It's a different beast entirely. And I want to say too, on that note, as we went on in our WCW arc, it did slowly in. Uh, by the time we got to Hog Wild, it felt toward the end like it was trying to be a little more of a WWF mimic than it was earlier on, like when the mm-hmm. NWO storyline first hit. It, 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 am I speaking out of turn with that, or is that kind of like I probably need more explanation of what you mean by that. I'm not immediately like, seeing it. Like, the presentation I talked about at the beginning was it felt, I mean... It felt kind of kind of a similar thing of what AEW has versus WWE of it's focusing more on the in-ring work, focusing more on making it feel like a legitimate sport. Uh, as the NWO storyline went on early on, the presentation was different in that while it was leaning on the entertainment aspect more like WWF did, it did something really unique with it. By the time we got to Hogwild... It didn't feel that that the the those two distinct things didn't feel as present to me. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But this this is something else entirely. This is I uh, like okay. We start off the show and media res, which is already a red flag to me. Oh my god! Huge red flag. I want to know why. Like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, I don't want to be one of those people who like says any wrestling show could be someone's first wrestling show mm-hmm. but we are just immediately kind of thrown into a match with just barely any context the commentators are desperately screaming like trying to explain weeks worth of storylines to you so that you understand why this is happening right now and it's like uh, like what oh my god Tony Schiavone is putting in the work in this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, Tony Schiavone is an absolute gem of the wrestling industry. He is. And and he's one of the best parts of this episode because he's just trying so hard and god WCW didn't deserve him by the end of their run. Jesus Christ. But I'll speak more I'll I'll, I'll elaborate more on this as we go on in this episode. But one of the things I wrote down early on was that this has a messy energy and it was hard to articulate at first. And then as the show kind of went on, I was able to kind of piece together this idea that it feels understructured for one. Like there, there seems to be a distinct lack of strong, cohesive, well thought out structure here. And on top of that, am I crazy or did this just feel like wrestling show the wrestling show? Like this felt this, this whole episode felt like a highlight reel of wrestling tropes fucking hodgepodge together in a not 
particularly tasty casserole. I do see that. And I would like to point out that you talk about how it's got this like messy, disorganized structure. And it sure also did have a thousand things going on. Yeah. It, that, well, that's the thing is we get thrown in the middle of fucking nowhere. Rick Flair comes out screaming that Dustin Rhodes doesn't work for the company anymore. Cause it's Rick. It's Dustin Rhodes. Versus okay. Rick Steiner. Let me, let, let, I'm going to throw out here what I'm think, what I'm pretty sure the story is based on what they say in this episode. Okay. okay. So Rick Flair is the owner of WCW right now. Kayfabe. And he has his group of dudes that are called the Magnificent Seven. And and it's like Road Warrior Animal, Buff Bagwell, Lance Storm, Lex Luger, Mike Sa- Above Average Mike Sanders. That's his <laughs> name, by the way. His nickname is Above Average. Top notch. Quality, quality. Uh, the Steiners, and I think that's the whole group. And they're try they tried to like can uh, can get like Dustin Rhodes to join their group, and he told them no. And so now Ric Flair's trying to fire him. Except not only is Ric Flair the owner, but you have this wrestler Ernest the Cat Miller, who's like a karate dude, but he also is the commissioner. And so it's a power struggle, and he's on Dustin Rhodes' side. Yeah. And we get this match where Rhodes and Rick Steiner are having a match. And then Ric Flair just shows up in the middle of it and is like, end this match right now. Because Dustin Rhodes, you don't work here. You're never working here ever again. Get out. You're fired. Security brings a bunch of security dudes. And he's like, we're going to escort this man out of the building. You're out of here. Yeah, the pace feels insanely rushed. That does it doesn't feel like they're taking any time to let any of this shit kind of sink in. And again, maybe with context, if we had done a whole thing leading up to this, this would have felt like I don't know a culmination of some sorts. But I doubt it still would have felt particularly well organized or well presented. Mm-hmm. Like okay, this if the the presentation in a lot of ways the the lack of structure and how kind of chaotic it feels. And the fact that it's just, there's nothing unique to the writing. It's just, it's just people screaming wrestling tropes at each other. That's, Mm -hmm. that's it. Like, it's so fucking generic. And. Well, I think there's one thing unique on this show. Storyline wise. We'll get get to that. that, I think. We'll get to that. But I kind of had this realization with how awkward and, and stilted and generic this all feels. God in some ways, this feels only about a step above Wrestlelicious in terms of storytelling. Oh, and only Lord. If, uh, okay, tell me I'm wrong. Please See, I don't, tell I don't me I'm wrong. I don't think I can make a solid argument against that because. Because what like, was Wrestlelicious? Awkward and poorly structured and chaotic and fucking generic. Yeah. I think the only advantage that WCW has immediately in terms of storytelling is that their characters aren't all like fetishes. <laughs> fetishes fabricated out of whole cloth. Yeah. And I think that's the best I can like do. They have an established history. Uh, well, the, th- the thing I will then go on to say is 
Oh, it's only a few steps above Restalicious in overall presentation, mostly because there's a stronger production value and mainstream appeal. That helps too. That's how painful this was to watch. And it wasn't fun in a lot of ways like Restalicious. This was fucking boring half the time. It's but- not bad. That's what I was concerned about, is that WCW in 2000 has a reputation for being like, the so bad it's good of wrestling. Yeah. The, the real Tommy Wiseau shit. <laughs> I was afraid 2001 might just be competently enough to, competent the, enough to it's, be it's boring. The fake Tommy Wiseau shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that's absolutely what this was because none of it was good, but it wasn't so bad that I can think it's that funny. There were a few things I found funny, and that's about it. But yeah, uh, just off the bat, this is weird. I I don't, I just don't. It it was also what the fuck, just all thrown out at once. Why Mm. did we start in the middle of a match? Why were they scrambling to give context? And why, why did we? And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you what I hate. I'll I'll explain what I really hate about the the starting in the middle of this match. Mm. Like when we get later in the show. But there's, 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 I have one big gripe with it. This, like, the match in particular that we started in the middle of. Okay. Uh, but anyway, back to kind of explaining what goes happening here is that Ric Flair, he like tries to get throw Dustin Rhodes out. And then out comes Ernest the Cat Miller. Uh, with, and he's like, hey, hey, no, no, Don, no, Dustin, he is not fired. I am keeping him on. I reinstated him. I'm the commissioner. Yes, and apparently Ric Flair and Ernest Miller have equal authority. And sure. so and so Ric Flair, but also Ric Flair has the power to put Ernest Miller in matches. And so he does. Yeah. He puts Ernest Miller in a match with Lance Storm, who is again part of the Magnificent Seven. Yep. And if and the winner will become the commissioner. And the and to make sure it's all above board, the referee is above average mike sanders yo yeah totally unbiased ref there yeah, this, this is all gonna be completely above board. yeah mike sanders by the way who fucking comes prepared with a wrestling with a yeah with okay yeah, dude shows up dude when he first comes out he's in his he's in a full suit and he takes his suit shirt off and he has a referee shirt just on as so, if he was prepared for this out this possibility yeah which is really funny when, when again, we pull back and you know what, for a 50th anniversary, for a 50th episode, pseudo anniversary episode, great way to call back to one of my earliest memes on this show is we want to talk about bad planning on your show. How the fuck does Ric Flair have the foresight to have above average here fucking come out with a ref shirt underneath his suit for the possibility that maybe he's gonna throw Ernest the Cat into a match for the commissioner. Like he just knew that but, Ernest Miller was gonna start shit tonight and give him an excuse to do this. But we have the one of the most insane declared in the middle of the episode main events I've ever seen on this show. So he has the foresight for that, but not the foresight for the insane shit that goes down the brings us to the main event what in the name of fu- god yeah this, guy, this guy's even worse at planning his shows mid-episode than vince mcmahon is but yeah, Jesus also Christ. also i also feel like uh rick flair as a boss only slightly less unhinged than your typical vince man oh, this is a little bit yeah simple, you, a little less unhinged. you know he 
Ric Flair comes off really sympathetic in this episode, as will it get to. I mean, he starts off fucking nuts, and I yeah. and I. Uh, but he, but he's almost charming in how nuts he is. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, but it's still what the fuck. Yeah. Also, also, <laughs> the, <laughs> the dubbed over stock music. About yeah. Okay. So, sir, context is by this point in time. Ernest Miller had been coming out to James Brown music. They even did a whole goddamn bit on pay-per-view where James Brown showed up to dance, to like make an appearance, guest appearance with Ernest Miller. Okay. But obviously WWE doesn't own the rights to broadcast that James Brown music. So they just dub over it. And his song is complete ass. Most of the songs on this episode are complete ass, but only one of them is a dub over. Yeah, wait, was that even, was that dub even meant to come close to anything like what Ernest Miller's theme was? I've never heard Ernest Miller's the regular theme, so I couldn't tell you, but. Fair enough. All I Uh, know is it sounded like shit. Also, also, yeah, when we get into the match proper with Ric Flair and Ernest Miller, the, is it a match though? It's no, no. It's 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 two dudes pretend, pretending to fight for a couple minutes and then a really weird attempt at a screw job sort of. What? If I have to give it anything, I appreciate they don't even act. They don't. They 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 immediately like. They don't even try to pretend like. Mike Sanders is going to call this down the middle. Like, oh, he, what he, really he cracks. Immediately, he immediately starts throwing hands at what, Ernest Miller. What really cracks me up is that Mike Sanders, Mike Sanders fucking, fucking gets knocked out in the middle of the match. Twice. He tw- gets knocked out twice. Yeah, he gets, he gets knocked out twice. But the first time, I think, God, was, I can't remember. You can't even fucking remember if it was the first time or the second time. Or wait, no, no, that was later. The, the double knockout was Dustin Rhodes versus Rick Steiner. Yeah, uh, that's the one where they knock out the same ref twice. The double yeah, okay. knockout bit. Yeah, no, they, no, but, but, but Rick Sanders gets knocked out during this match. And uh, 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 Ernest Miller grabs his arm as he pins Ric Flair and tries to do a count for him and still doesn't fucking get no, the thumb. No, that was insane. That was hilarious. It was he... so stupid. And then the funny thing is the second time he doesn't even try that. The second time, like it, like it goes, it's a two on one fight. <laughs> Ernest Miller also has to fight Mike Sanders and he tries hard and he manages to like get some good licks in, but Oh fuck. The only referee in this match isn't going to legally count a pin for him. So he's kind of screwed the whole time. And it ends when, um, uh, Lance storm puts Ernest Miller in a one legged, uh, Boston crab and he, and the referee and Mike Sanders just immediately calls for the bell. It's a phantom, phantom submission, classic screw job, but you know, whatever. So stupid. Why? But then I think we get to the most insane part of this episode. Yes. Because out comes Ric Flair to like make, to usher out Ernest Miller and also kick his ass some more. Yep. Is... He, he he brings the whole Magnificent Seven with him to start putting boots to asses. Yep. And then Kevin Nash shows up on the video board. 
Oh my yeah. god. Oh yeah. Kevin Which is Nash- also I made um remark this to David is that especially looking at I'm used to WWE's style of cinematography where like when they do videos on the video board they'll usually like I don't know full screen show you the video. Yeah. Uh WCW they don't do that. They instead just film at the video board from a distance. <laughs> Quality production value guys. We're we're doing a we're doing a great job over here. Keep up, keep anyway, up the great technical work. But anyway, Kevin Nash is he's he's standing in this in this blank room somewhere in the back. It's you and know lit with colored lights as you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like trying to start some shit. And he's like, Yeah, you got all your boys out here, huh? And Ric Flair's like, Oh, what are you gonna do? Come on out here, Nash. All seven of us are out here. We gotta run out here. Woo! Get out you get here and fight. Come on right now. And then and Nash is like, oh, you got everyone, do you? You got you got all your bases covered. And Rick Flair's like, yeah, I do. We think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got everybody. And he's like, and Nash is like, are you sure? And he he, he go he does this bit part of the bit longer yeah. than he needed to. Yeah, it got it ran for too long, but okay. But then Rick Flair's like, yeah, I got everyone. And then Nash, he pan we pan the camera down, and he's got. David Flair, who is oh, one of who is Ric Flair's son. son, and he's kidnapped and beaten David Flair. <laughs> Kevin Nash is holding a hostage. Twenty-one-year-old <laughs> David Flair is being held hostage. <laughs> Oh, your boy, nothing's gonna nothing more is gonna happen to him if you meet my demands. And his demands are that he gets a world title match tonight with Scott Steiner, the world champ. And not only that, is he's like you boned Destin Rhodes, his words, and <laughs> tonight. And so what you're gonna do is you're gonna give him a rematch with Rick Steiner tonight, and when he wins, and he will, he's gonna get reinstated. Oh my god. And, and and like David Flair is fucking sitting here looking terrified, like kind of black eyes. Yeah, no, like, his mouth. Like, why did we have to drag Ric Flair's son into this to get what the shit? You no, absolutely- there, David Flair has wrestled on WCW TV before. He's a regular character, but still, what the fuck? Yeah, you're supposed to be the good guys. You're not doing... This is the NWO shit. Early, like, why are you doing this now that you're a face? What? And yeah. also, also, God, I'm sorry. Nash is so fucking unrefined on Mike. He's so awkward. He stumbles over his words. He, he is. Just... He completely flops one of his line about day about Dustin Rhodes getting reinstated on the roster. Oh my God. Yeah, the, the, he's not. He's not great at speaking off the cuff. We've noticed if you if you notice that adjective mm-hmm. play, if you know what I mean. Now, <laughs> and like and like I told Dave when we were watching. Kevin Nash has a very specific niche of like emotion that he's good at. And it's like, he's cool. He's good at being like cool and detached. And also when he's kind of being a deadpan snarker, he's good at that too. Uh, um, but when he's expected to kind of be like this fired up charismatic baby face, who's holding a hostage, he just kind of sounds bored the whole time. 
Yeah, he sounds. Uh, I, I don't even know. He he said, yeah, he sounds vaguely bored, and also just like he he's struggling to figure out what the hell to even say in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was it was a little hard to watch, and it was we were just too busy cracking up with the fact that Kevin Nash is holding twenty one year old David Flair hostage. So he can get a title match and I guess get Dustin Rhodes' job back. Fuck and this sure. and here's something that's super stupid is that I'm pretty sure that Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner were already scheduled to be to have a title match on pay-per-view six days from this show. So what and, the hell? And he's holding the man hostage so he can get him six days early. Nash, God, this buddy. Really Holy think about what you're moly. doing here. Like, like well, I want to know what Kevin Nash's in kayfabe rationale for this was. Like, yeah, I'm just going to casually kidnap this dude. I'm totally not going to face any sort of, like, job or legal repercussions for this. Nothing, no, no, nothing I mean, wrong with this. I mean, this is wrestling. Nobody calls the cops for anything except Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is the, the McMahons are the only people that call the cops True. in wrestling. True. We'll call the cops on Stone Cold and that's about it. Nope. Everything else, we're just going to sell it in the ring. Sell it in the ring. God. And uh, so Rick, and then so Rick, uh, early, he immediately kind of acquiesces to their demand, to his demands in the moment. Oh, yeah. Like, you got it. But then we get backstage, and Ric Flair is sending uh, above average to go hunt for uh, Kevin Nash. Find, it, find his son. Save his son, man. Yup. Also, I love that a little later on we get tonight question mark about the about the, yes. the match <laughs> like well while they're still promoting the store oh, oh we'll get to this the mat we'll get to why they have tonight question mark yeah but so before that there's two more promos we got to talk about before we get to the oh, second yeah. match of this show is we get uh buff bagwell and lex luger are hanging out in the back where Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo are. They are the tag team champions and otherwise have no character that I could discernibly talk to you about. Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger, if you don't know them, they're big beefy boys who like showing off how beefy they are. Anyway, they are making the sales pitch to Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo that they should join the Magnificent Seven. That's making it the Magnificent Nine, of course. Uh, Unless they choose to not change the name, which would be very funny. And if they do that, then the Magnificent Seven, they got all the gold. They got all the championships with them. So they're, so they're making the hard sales pitch, and Chil- and Palumbo and O'Hare are just kind of sitting there, not really reacting to it. <laughs> it doesn't come up again tonight, but I assume it has long-term repercussions. I hope it does anyway. Yeah, maybe. God, it was so... It was so random, and I was just like, okay, this is a thing that's happening. Whatever fucking substance of that flew completely out of my mind. So so kudos to you for remembering what the hell was going on. Yeah. And then we get Mike Sanders in, in the he, – he is he – that guy's getting to work all night. But so he shows up in the locker room where Dustin Rhodes is. I would like to remind you that at the beginning of the show – Ric Flair had like a dozen security guards show up to escort Dustin Rhodes out of the building because he's fired. And yet, yeah. 20, a half hour later, 
here is Dustin Rhodes sitting just by himself in the locker room, no security guards in sight. Yeah, the great internal logic. What? He even, like, I, I forgot this part, but like in that initial Nash hostage promo, Ric Flair even tries to argue that he can't meet his demands because Destin, Destin Rhodes, Rhodes has already left, left the, building. the building. And Kevin Nash is like, well, sounds like a you problem to fix, yeah. not me. <laughs> See, that was, a good, that was a good bit right there. Mm-hmm. And so, but apparently Dustin Rhodes never fucking left. The security guard just dropped him off at the locker room and just left and didn't take him anywhere. He's just still there. It's just still there. Oh my God. It's <sighs> why, yeah. why, why? It's, it's really funny to me. And it's, it's, I, I almost can't wrap my head around how cartoonishly inept this all is because this reads like a parody of a wrestling company that's on the brink of collapse. It feels, it feels too perfect that they are just as fucking inept on air uh, in real time as it would suggest that they're like currently financially crumbling and about to be bought up by the WWF. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's insane just how on the nose their own failures are here. It's so funny. Yeah. And so Dustin Rhodes, who, by the way, is playing, I'm a Texan. <laughs> That's his character. Now. That's He's not, we've seen Honestly, him... a lot more dignified than fucking gold dust. I'll take it. But admittedly, Goldust is more memorable. So, you know, it's up to you. I don't care. Sure, Goldust is more memorable than vanilla Dustin Rhodes, but he's also a lot more dignified and gives Dustin Rhodes the fucking respect he deserves as a good, goddamn, really talented in-ring worker. I'm not complaining. Anyway, all, all above average is like, hey, Dust, hey, Dustin. Uh, you want to wrestle Rick Steiner tonight and you get your job back? And Dustin Rhodes is like, dude, I know ever, I, I saw what happened out there. You're only asking me because doing that would help save Ric Flair and fuck him. So no, yep. I, I, def- I decline. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin playing it actually kind of smart here. <laughs> yeah. And then our next, our second match of the, of the night, Lash LaRue versus yang yeah oh it was really funny because yang walks out and austin's immediately like i can tell this guy's japanese just from the music just because yeah, of course he, they have he, the most like stereotypical i'm from japan music a lot of a lot of a lot of stereotypically asian music you know in, in, wrestling. Some ways, in some ways it still hasn't gotten better considering shinsuke's nakam shinsuke nakamura's theme is literally called the fucking rising sun but, yeah, it's a little bit better in that I don't think they would ever use an oriental jingle anymore. So, you know. You know what? Fair. But but dude walks out and Austin's and before we can like discernibly tell even fucking what his face looks like, Austin's like, "Oh, this guy's Japanese, isn't he?" Yeah, and then Japanese guy. And then and then it hits that his name is goddamn Yang. Is that his real name? Is that a name he yes, picked out? Yes, that, oh, okay. re- that is his real. That is his real name. Okay, that makes it better. It's not. It's not fucking. It's not fucking WCW looking at an Asian person being like, hmm, "What if we just named this person Ching Chang?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Like it's it's it, okay, okay. There's some that okay, fine, sure. At least that wasn't a name that was picked out for him. Because if it were, that would just feel like oh god, guys. Right. So as a, as a little context, the two cruiserweight matches we have tonight are basically the winners get to go to a big match, multi-man match on the pay-per-view to become number one contender to the cruiserweight title. Indeed. So that's what they're fighting for. I suppose we should. I should try to describe Lash LaRue. Um, what is there to describe? He throws up L's with his fingers. Yeah. And, like, goes, woo, or whatever. Yeah, when he comes out, he's got, like, a fucking silver shirt and, like, yeah. those, like, small, circular, tinted sunglasses things. So maybe they're going for kind of, like, a hipsterish character with him. But it's just, God, not memorable. Yeah. Not the least memorable characters on this show. We'll get to no, them. We'll get but, to them. but, like, yeah. I don't really know what Lash LaRue's reputation is as a wrestler. Is he well-liked? I don't know. He seemed uh, okay enough in ring, probably bolstered by the really good work that Yang was doing. Oh, yeah, Yang was doing great when he wasn't doing, like, stereotypical karate shit. Okay, yeah, is that a thing of – is that a signature of his or was that a WCW invention? I've never seen him – to be fair, I've never seen him wrestle before, so I okay. couldn't tell you. But, yeah, no, he's early, he's doing this this fucking like I do kung fu like no, fake gesturing. He does the yeah, he does, you know you know the the grasshopper whatever. Oh, grasshopper crane crouching crane, tiger. The crane, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say it. Um, yeah. And he does like he does like a bunch of spin kicks. Yeah. Which show is off his martial arts skill. Sure. But after we get to that, after we get past that, he's actually pretty sweet. He's a pretty good flippy boy, and mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, really funny that one of the commentators refers to Lash LaRue as Lance LaRue as Austin Oh, yeah, Tony, yeah Tony Schiavone fucks oh, up. Oh, that's Schiavone? Oh, no. <laughs> Man, that I feel like that's really indicative of, of, of this guy's status in, in the halls of wrestling history. Mm -hmm. Who I are will you say again? Yeah, who are you? Uh, I will say is that something that it's kind of fun for me is that like the between these are two wrestlers I've never wrestled watched before. There's there's something fun like the concept of the finishing move and like everybody has the one move they win every single match with is this kind yeah. of accepted wrestling lore and you kind of learn to get over it in terms of like how that makes the ending of matches fairly relatively predictable uh but i will say it's fun to watch a match between two dudes i've never wrestled before so i have absolutely no idea what their finishing move is supposed to be so like every big move they hit i'm like wait is that the end yeah yeah there is a kind of fun lack of predictability there that's that's kind of the upside of going into this with absolutely no context and i did notice that too of i i didn't fully click or articulate it but i did kind of have that sense throughout the match of man, I don't know when this is gonna end. These guys are just kind of going at it, and it's a continuous back and forth, and who knows mm -hmm. who knows on any level the way this is going to end, because I don't know anything about these characters or their movesets or their place in the story. Yeah. 
Uh, I won't say it's 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 so good. You should go out. You should definitely go out of your way to watch it. But like, it was a really fun match. It's uh, probably the highlight of this episode. Oh, I would definitely call it the highlight. Uh, Yang. Also, this was a match I noticed where like there are mats around the ring, which on a safety for your workers level, I appreciate because the modern companies don't really do that. No, nah, man, just boom. You go man, out and on you the floor. Oh, man. So I appreciate that. Maybe that's a practice we should bring back. You know, make people hurt themselves a tiny bit less. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Yang gets the dub with a corkscrew moonsault that looked pretty fucking sick, even if he mostly kind of landed on Lash LaRue's head <laughs> with it. Other than that, pretty sick. Yeah, uh, great acrobatic skills. You know, he's a cruiserweight. That's kind of how they do cool waka waka that's 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 thank you mm-hmm. uh then we go back to the backstage where mike sanders is trying to explain to rick flair that he's found dustin but where he hasn't agreed yet and we're working on it and rick flair's like what the fuck man uh give, give me give him that match yeah promise him anything is what promise rick him anything mm-hmm. yeah and we well Mike Sanders goes back uh, to Dustin Rhodes and is like, well, okay, I'll give you uh, my... anything you want. Yeah. Dustin's I... like, hmm, anything I want, eh? Yeah, of course. And it's immediately Austin points out the hmm, very far choice of words. Yes. And so Dustin, uh, he said, he basically goes, if I win tonight, I want a rematch with Rick Steiner on the pay-per-view for the U.S. title. Yeah. Great. If you're keeping score, that is the first match of this show that becomes a rematch of on on a pay-per-view that is happening six days later. It will yeah. not be the last. And it's also the second time, it's also the third time this match is going to happen because that same matchup is going to happen for the second time on this episode. Yes, and so to cycle back to that starting in the middle of the match thing, probably the thing that annoys me the most about the fact that we started a match in the middle of it is that we then get the match again later on this show. Yep. So I had to watch it one and a half times. It's so stupid. And I guess that's probably why they started in the middle of the match. So you wouldn't have to watch it like two whole times. And then it just feels fucking useless. Like it's just, you, you could have done, you could have structured this thematically so that you didn't have, you didn't just do that match twice. Yeah, or you could have the very, you could have at the very least made it so that Dustin Rhodes is fighting literally anyone else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, I forgot to mention it is the the, the tonight question mark bit is that af- it was after that first Mike Sanders Dustin Rhodes promo oh, yeah. Yeah. where they like are advertising that Dustin Rhodes versus Rick Steiner are gonna happen tonight, but also they don't know yet in story, so they put tonight. Yeah. Out tonight, same energy as the fucking Cards Against Humanity bees. Bees. It's so yeah. It, again, great planning on the part of Ric Flair. Good mm. job. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> yep. Uh, backstage, we get an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund interviewing the Natural Born Thrillers, or half of them anyway. Sean Stasiak and Mark Jindrak. Uh, they are two muscly boys. That's all I got. And in fact, the natural born thrillers thing I just mentioned, they were a stable and they're all arrogant, muscly boys. And that's all I got for them too. But yep, Yeah. To quickly summarize what's going on. 
to quickly summarize what I'm pretty sure is going on here is that basically they were all a group together. Uh, Sean Stasiak, Mark Jindrak, uh, Chuck Palumbo, and Sean O'Hare. And then O'Hare and Palumbo won the tag titles. And Stasiak and Jindrak got jealous. And now the group is broken up. And Sean Stasiak is like, I carried that team. Uh, me, I'm the best. I'm the best member of the Thrillers, and it's and Mean Gene is literally like, give me a break. <laughs> but otherwise, whatever. God, they made me forget a Mean Gene segment. How fucking could they? That mm-hmm. shit was so generic it dripped right the hell out of my mind. I was just like, oh, cool, Gene's here. Who are these guys? I don't care. Gene's here. Goodbye. Yep. Uh, then we get a quick backstage uh, interaction between the cat and DDP where the cat's just feeling down that he lost his commissioner job and DDP shows up like the motivational speaker that he is. And he's like, don't worry, God, don't worry, dude, get back up again. He quotes Ali at Muhammad Ali at him or whatever. And cat's like you, right? Well, I get DDP is a super cool, helpful guy, IRL who's done really good for a lot of his, uh, a lot of his peers but can we lean on maybe a little bit more than that for his character, please? No, he this this isn't even the set last time that he will make like being a positive thinking motivational speaker his character. He'll do it in WWE too. You know that feels almost uh, in poor taste, considering considering that the time the things he's known for doing with that skill are helping deeply troubled friends with drug problems stop having drug problems <laughs> that it feels a little cheap but okay all right well then uh we go back we're in a different place backstage and for some reason they rick flair is has road warrior animal like choking mike sanders up against a wall and Mike Sanders, he's like, no, I got the match. I got the match. And he told me, he, he, he's like, don't worry. Uh, Dustin has agreed to the match. And Ric Flair's like, all right, all right. Yes. And then he then, before, Sanders leaves. And Ric Flair tells Road Warrior Animal, like, listen, I know that, that Rick Steiner can handle Dustin Rhodes. But in case anything goes wrong, I want you out there to make sure Rick Steiner wins. Which is so so. Of course, Rick's gonna Rick's gonna influence the match. But I just I find it so freaking funny that Rick is just drawn to these desperate levels of of go of doing whatever he can to kowtow to Nash's demands. But he's still gonna make some fucking attempt to screw the match. Like that's gonna yeah. help in any way whatsoever. Like Rick Flair, Rick Flair's attempt at like getting back at Nash is is that like technically Nash didn't stipulate that any of his boys had to win, so he'll give them the match and then just screw them out of winning. He's not the particularly he Rick Flair's not especially competent at hostage negotiation situations. I see, especially when to be fair. Nat, when 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 someone puts their mind to it, Nash was pretty easily found. Yeah, 
Which is also, why the fuck wasn't Ric Flair sending people to look for Nash? Apparently, Nash was in the fucking arena. He was in the building. I also want to know who was helping him. Like, who was behind the camera? Like, who set up the camera? Who helped? Who, like, did he do that all himself? Who gave him the power over TVs? We'll get to that, actually. We'll get to that, yeah. But there, there's no attempt on Ric Flair's part to to put up any resistance. He just fucking grumbles immediately, like the bitch he is. I guess yeah. I thought Ric Flair had more self respect than that. Jesus, guess not. No. Uh, then we we get a quick ma- a video package hyping up the Steiner brothers. It's whatever, and then we get Dustin Rhodes versus Rick Steiner again. Part two, Electric Boogaloo. It's not great so many shenanigans yep uh i did i put specifically in my notes to laugh at the part where uh early in the match dustin kicks out at two and rick steiner goes over to complain at the referee he's like yeah that was three he's like i'll knock the shit out of you and you very clearly picked up by the audio that's so funny i it's it's also really hilarious to me too that that when dustin rhodes comes out his theme this is one of the ones his theme music is so goddamn terrible i thought it was another stock music dub over no it's some generic like acoustic texan sound yeah it's it sounds fake it doesn't sound like a real song why is this his music when other people get to fucking license james brown Mm-hmm. What what yeah. was what was this company? A disaster, I'll tell you that much right now. Yep. Yep. So we we eventually get through the match. It it's whatever you know. It's a lot of Rick Steiner uh, pounding on on Dustin and Dustin fighting back. And Dustin ends up accidentally getting a real bloody nose, bloodied up nose. Yeah. In the in the match, but we get to a part where eventually Rick Steiner gets so fed up with the referee. That he literally throws him to the outside of the ring, only to immediately get rolled up by Dustin Rhodes, and the ref rolls back in, and it's a two count. But I then know. we get another again. I forget which who hits him accidentally, but the ref gets accidentally knocked out again. A second time. What 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 is even the point? Why are we trying to go for? Are we trying to go for some sort of shock value here? Are like we? No, like I I'm not the first to say this, but. If every single one of your matches, or at least a lot of them, involves stupid shenanigans where the ref gets knocked out, it's not you've you've lost pretty much any shock value to it. Or there's interference or anything. It's every single match. Why was this episode like this? Were all episodes of WCW at this point like this? Was this episode to my understanding, special for some yeah. reason? Yeah. To my understanding, yes. They were oh. very big on interference shit. Oh anyway oh that's gonna uh, that you know i just keep getting more and more material to add to my little like breakdown at the end of this uh god okay uh anyway road warrior animal shows up shocker and then um, and then uh uh franchise intervenes to, oh yeah to, to, i forgot to, to, to like, how to I was, trying to remember how, how, I was trying to remember how Dustin won this match anyway. And yeah. he shows up. It's franchise. Shane yeah. Douglas. Yeah. Fran- franchise he, interrupts a, a, a road warrior animals interruption. And that leads to DDP. Uh, not DDP. Dustin getting the win with a DDT. Uh, <laughs> and he gets the pin. Hoorah. 
Rick Steiner versus Dustin Rhodes. If you like this match, don't worry. You'll get it. You can pay 60 bucks to see it again in six days. Why it's so good. I think I'd like to have it a third time. (laughs) Anyway, after the match then is that Rick and the Road Warrior Animals shit can the both of them. And they didn't try to break Shane Douglas's other arm. Because for uh, sake, uh, Shane Douglas is currently out with a wrist injury. So he has this huge cast on his arm, which he uses to hit Rick Steiner, which is not good and not good to do. Don't no. use the cast as a weapon. No. That's that's a really mean bump, dude. Come on. And but then they try to they like stick his hand in a chair in a steel chair folding chair to try to snap his other arm and dustin Rhodes like here i come to save the day and then they like just beat him up too yeah he gets he gets he gets yeeted pretty quickly when he shows back up like yeah. bro and then they and then they also snap st douglas's arm yeah and so he's like so you got him writhing around on the ground be like ah ah broken arm ah, ah. what was this it's just it's just bad wrestling trope after bad wrestling trope with with very little cohesive tissue in between. Yep. Uh, then we get a backstage bit. Finally, the first appearance of Scott Steiner on this episode. I was kind of hoping this would be one of his episodes where he rambles like a madman. Because I know. that's something we need to experience on this show. But unfortunately not. But this was his first appearance. And... David pointed out is that Kevin Nash has fucking TV control powers because they're both just sitting in Ric Flair's office and then like Kevin Nash sends a new video only to Ric Flair out of the like fucking CR on uh, CRT TV sitting that, in the office. That it's it's really funny to to see because it, it it's fucking tiny. It's a tiny mm-hmm. ass. Monitor. It's a very small monitor. I'm pretty sure my laptop screen is bigger than this monitor. Oh yeah, no, this is like fucking two foot by two foot or some shit. If if that, maybe maybe a foot by a foot. It's fucking size of my goddamn like Tommy was so signed picture here. Like, yeah. To I uh, it, it yeah. So so I guess as a perk of being an NWO member, you get the power to hijack TV signals or whatever. Because that's a perk. That, that's 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 what the mm-hmm. NWO did, right? And we're just playing our greatest hits at this point. Whatever. Right? Uh, so he he continues to threaten Rick, and Rick is like all panicked. And Scott Steiner's like, you know, fuck this. I'm just gonna go find him. <laughs> yeah. Finally, we get some investigative work. So Steiner and his girlfriend or whatever storm off. Yeah, I believe that's his his valet, Medasia. Medasia. Looked. I had to look her up for that because I don't think they say it on the show. His, his skimpily dressed valet Medasia accompanies him, and <laughs> so yeah, Big Papa Pump goes storming off, and it's yep. And then we get our second cruiserweight match of the night: Eat Prime Time Elix Skipper against Billy Kidman. And this oh is my god, I, oh my I god, think this is very important to talk about Elix Skipper. Elix Skipper, I here's here's my first note on Elix Skipper. Dude gets on the mic, and the first fucking words that come out of his mouth are, you stupid Americans, this is a black man, and they play him like he's from Canada. And like, oh my god, of course the black guy who's not from here is saying, you dumb Americans, for heel heat. Are you shitting me? This is literally just a wrestling trope highlight show, you incompetent boobs. 
Mm-hmm. Stop leaning on the crutches of, of this dumb, tired out, kind of racist bullshit. Stop it. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, David kind of hinted at it also, by the way, is that Elix Skipper is not Canadian. He joined a Team Canada in storyline and they pretended that he's from Canada, even though he isn't. And they they gave him a kayfabe backstory of being a former Canadian football player, but he's not. And it's just so silly that they're pretending this guy is Canadian, who doesn't sound or look Canadian. And but you know he says America sucks, so you know USA, USA. It's all ideology is hating America, as I remarked to 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 Austin as, as we watched the Tankies would love this guy. Dear God, it's so. He doesn't stupid. even have anything interesting to say. He literally is just like you Americans are you dumb. dumb Americans. It's the most basic, stupid, unoriginal way to play heel heat. God. Anyway, he wrestles Billy Kidman, who's just a dude who wrestles in a tank top and jean shorts. Yeah, and I guess pinned Hulk Hogan once when Hulk Hogan was trying to, like, prove that he's not a complete egomaniac, according to Austin. Cool. that happened. Cool. Anyway, the match is fine. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Yang and... uh, and uh, last LaRue, but you know, it's still one of the better parts of the show. Yeah. Not by a long shot. Is it better than Yang and Lash LaRue to your God? Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, and Billy Kidman gets the, gets the dub. Woo hoo. Oh yeah. The, I, I feel very affected by this very memorable match. And then here we go. Another mean gene interview this time with the laughing man. Hugh Morris. God damn it. He's actually here. Why? Why am I actually encountering Hugh Morris on our 50th episode of all places? We have managed to avoid the general Hugh G-rection era. He is back to being Hugh Morris. What? I have definitely referenced Hugh G-rection to you before. I don't remember this. Oh, yes. why? Why was he unironically huge erection? That one was a Vince Russo one, if you'd be. Of you, course you it can was! Believe it. Of fucking course it was! I want to do bad things to Vince Russo in Roblox. <laughs> anyway, the old laughing man, uh, he really gets into the gimmick because he just. <laughs> And he just kind of giggles at random punk moments. <laughs> he's having his Joker. He looks like he's having his Joker origin story in real time. What the hell is this guy? What? Why is this here? Why is anything here? Why does it hurt so much? <laughs> anyway, he's trying to. He's he's just advanced. He's just being like talking some shit to the to the guys he's feuding with right now. Which is the wall. I don't know anything about the wall, just that the fact that is his name. And there was a super iconic WCW segment where Hulk Hogan is like cutting a promo and he sees a guy at the top of like a building, a tall building over in the distance. And he's like, It's the wall, brother. Even though there's no way Hogan could possibly know that it is the wall in particular. Because cool. he's so far away. Very funny shit. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the wall, 
and Chavo Guerrero are he uh, Hugh Morris got some problems with him, and so he's going to be in a tag match with his 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 good buddy Ray Mysterio. Uh, Ray deserves better always. Why? Why you just be do- you just be happy you didn't have to see him on this show because this would have been after he got unmasked in WCW. Wait, wasn't he a heel when he got unmasked in WCW? Wasn't this like the two seconds he actually went heel? I think he would have. T- I think he turned babyface back. Okay. I just but remember you he, mentioned that he did that he went heel for he a hot did. second. But you don't you you don't have to see little baby face unmasked Rey Mysterio. That sounds deeply painful and aggravating, and I think I probably would have like had a stroke if I had to sit through that. So thank you, thank yeah. you, Aaron Jesus. Rey Mysterio, one of the one of those one of the few luchadors who, like, after losing his mask in a match, just puts it back on and nobody gives a shit. Well, because it doesn't fucking count because it's WCW and they don't fucking respect the craft anyway. Mm, true. They don't deserve Any... that kind of that kind of just dignity. Well, anyway. Anywho, we get backstage. Uh, we got Scott Steiner. He's got a he got a fucking metal pipe set from somewhere, and he walks up to this random backstage worker, and he's yeah. like, hey. You know where Kevin Nash is? No. Fucking drops him. No, yeah, he just kicks his ass. Yeah. It's like, it was so See that that was actually unironically entertaining. Is is Big Papa Pump just just like asking some random random dude who works backstage if he's seen Nash and when the answer is no, he's just like fuck you anyway and just tossed him to the ground. Yeah, he and he drops his pipe for it, but then thankfully Medeja picks it back up. That pipe will be important later. <laughs> yeah, I guess it will in some ways. Anyway, mm. yeah, it was legit. Yeah, watching Big Papa Pump storm through the backstage area actually has some comedic value. So thanks for that bit of entertainment. I guess it does. We get a video package detailing the long and sordid backstory of Canyon and Diamond Dallas Page. They used sure. to be friends. They were the terror from the Jersey Shore. And now they don't like each other. Bump, yeah, and, then, bump, and, then, bump, and, then, and then DDP, and then Canyon got hurt in a match, and then for some reason he betrayed DDP after that, and then he like took DDP out of action, and then like stole his whole shtick. Like some weird stalker dude. And then DDP came back and he's like, bro. And now they're fighting. There we go. That covered the whole bit. Yeah, you, you did a lot more fucking officially than that long-winded ass video package that was there for no reason did. Why was, was that long. there? It feels like it was setting up the DDP promo later, but it was still way too long and explaining everything. Oh, so we'll explain why that's happening, but not any of the other random shit going on in this episode. Thanks. I really wanted my mid card explained to me in a long winded video package. Yeah. Then we get, oh boy, uh, Sean Stasiak versus Chuck Palumbo. Who? What? I don't recall. It slipped right the fuck out of my memory. Right. Uh, it was very, it was kind of long and kind of terrible. Yeah. And again, all the natural born thrillers all just seem like six extremely generic dudes with no character or personality. And I don't care about their civil war. <laughs> 
Oh man, bigger. This bigger, is the uh, worst version of of Marvel Civil War, and that's including the terrible ass original comic. Yeah, we said it. Shouldn't be that hot of a take, but you know, I, it you know, is <laughs> Marvel fans, man. I don't want to tell you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the the most memorable part is probably where they kind of fuck up the finish. You could assume where he where Sean Stasiak rolls up Palumbo. But he's in the ropes, so the ref is like, I don't I can't count the pin. And so, like, five seconds later, they redo the roll-up, and Sean Stasiak pins Palumbo. That's so funny. Look, props for noticing the foot on the ring or whatever, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and correcting. You did your job, basic. It also cracks me up, too, that we get this match of two former friends who used to be in a group together right after totally unrelated video package about two more two former friends that used to be like in a group partnership whatever together yeah you got confused for a second there i did connected storylines and they're not because these guys are such blank slates i was just like it's one of those ddp maybe sure whatever I was so uh, done by no. this point. I just couldn't afford the mental capacity to distinguish between those two entities. Yeah, uh, right. Anyway, Stasia gets the W. Who I don't care. I don't uh, give a shit. And now DDP comes out. Here comes DDP wearing a Sopranos t-shirt. Angie. He mad. Homie's showing off how Jersey he is. Um then yeah, he basically also then recaps the Canyon stuff again. And yep. he's like, nobody steals from me, DDP. And then out comes old Jeff Jarrett. Uh, if you don't know what Jeff, if you followed on this podcast before, you might think of Jeff Jarrett as country singer extraordinaire. Well, he's given up on that character now. Now he's cut his hair short and he goes around saying the word slap nuts all the time mm-hmm. this is not and the same man i'm convinced this is these are two different men going by the same name it's fucking there's no way i see little to no facial resemblance it it, it it he looks like he's aged backwards a tiny bit i guess i guess fucking like getting getting a spiky haircut in the early aughts really really did give you a little bit of extra youth or something this is not the same character it doesn't feel like the same person i'm just so what the fuck anyway they yell at each other and i tried to make as many innuendos as i could think of considering the jokes on the fact that uh ddp is part of his like catchphrases he talks about how he bangs people hitting them with the diamond cutter and then of course you got jeff jarrett yelling slap nuts so i was just trying to find ways to make innuendo jokes out of the fact that they both have that those are their catchphrases far more entertaining than the fucking than what we got on here also like i i do have to give jeff jarrett or not not ddp credit that like Half of the things he said just got like chant popped with the audience. Mm-hmm. Like it's like half the shit seems so random. But I guess his entire dialogue tree is so is so tropified and well known at this point that the audience is able to just chant along with half his fucking speech. 
So I guess that takes a certain level of like undeniable popularity and charisma. So kudos to DDP for oh, that. Oh yeah, dude, DDP, was... one of the stalwart baby faces of WCW. I have to say, like that is a legitimately impressive feat to get the crowd chanting along that hardcore with half the shit you say. Mm-hmm. Good on you, buddy. I'm proud of you. And then anyway, the whole promo is an excuse. For Canyon to run out and try to sneak attack DDP. Yep, and DDP yet he fails. Like, yes, he's <laughs> that shit and turns and and no, doesn't even turn. Just without looking, fucking elbows Canyon from behind. Dude got fucking eyes in the back of his head for this. Yeah. And then he 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 bangs Canyon, hits him with the old the diamond cutter, but then Unfortunately, that was a ruse for then Jeff Jarrett to get into the ring and smash his guitar over Didi. He 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 gives him the old El Cabong. You can really tell Vince Russo left his legacy on WCW because they looked at Vince Russo's tendency for messy endings and were like, "Hey, what if we just did that as everything? What mm-hmm. if just everything were messy? What if nothing made goddamn structural sense?" But have you considered, David, that messy is chaos and chaos gets the ratings? Crash TV. It's extreme, bro. Extreme. Anyway. Oh, God. So then we get to our main event. But right before that, as I mentioned before, Scott Steiner has almost zero problem finding Kevin Nash's room where he was filming his hostage video. Yeah, he's fucking like following a he cable the cord, an extension cord, like a cord. dog on a scent. And he just kicks open the door. That was pretty sweet. Steiner is such a himbo, dude. I love it. Yeah, so he well, he runs in there and he finds the camera. He's like, who, who, who is running the camera? Who's here? You gotta be here. And then thankfully, another CRT monitor is in the room. And yep. it shows who, and I want to know who's filming this is huh. Kevin Nash has taken David Flair, his hostage, I'm going to remind you, and he's just walking him through the hallways to get to the ring. Yeah. I I don't know how he's doing this unimpeded. Is there no security in this goddamn building? No, all 12 of them went to not escort Dustin Rhodes out. True. Yeah, they actually all went. they, They all decided to just fuck this in the middle of escorting Dustin Rhodes and just left to go get a pint or something. I guess so. We get to the match, and and Kevin Nash is dragging David Flair to the ring, and out comes Ric Flair again. He's like, "Hey, no, hey, leave him alone." And Kevin Nash is like, "I'm a power bomb your son," and then he does. He does it. And after that, he kind of leaves. He leaves David Flair to be taken away by the rest of the Magnificent Seven. And out comes uh, Scott Steiner to have their match. And honestly, who gives a shit about the match, though? It barely happens. And It barely it- happens. What I love is we ca- in the middle of the match, we cut to a video feed. I guess now we have the ability to, like, cut to video and not just film it on the big screen. Yeah. But yeah, we cut to a video feed of Flair and the Magnificent Seven getting David into a limo and, you know, sending him off. And David's fucking, like, whining from the limo, like, like, oh, it hurts. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, 
And then the, Ric Flair is like, well, he Kevin Nash has fulfilled his end of the bargain. So fuck him. I'm about to, I'm about to go turn on him. Yeah, no, well, he, he specifically, this is what I love. This is the this is the highlight of the episode for me. Is he closed the door on David, the limo starts to drive away, then he turns around, looks at Magnificent Magnificent Seven and goes, Go kill Nash! He go kill screams. Nash! Go kill Nash! It was so so of course they're all the and and Shivani then immediately we cut back to the match and Shivani immediately comments on what we just saw. So like who got the video feed of that? Did we see that up there? Did they play it? Did Does the Nash know? Does that mean Nash saw it? Uh, we w- may explain what's going on here. How does anyway. any of the live video feed in this fucking arena work? What? Good question. So Nash and Steiner just kind of continue to like fuck around. Like it the match is structured like they know they only have to wrestle for five minutes to no conclusion. Yeah, which is a point you made of, hmm, sure is weird they're fighting for the title when they're already going to be fighting for the title in like six days on the pay-per-view. So, hmm, I mm-hmm. sure wonder what the outcome here is going to be. This isn't a fucking repetitive, useless match. No. But it ends... First, okay, the Magnificent Seven show up. And then they get immediately stopped by, yeah. I guess, Kevin Nash's bros, the baby faces, all show up to stop them immediately. So that part is completely ruined. You know, it really is funny that Kevin Nash is was known for being one of the arch heels of early WCW and then turned face and is like i'm a good guy now I he's stand, like one of the last baby faces around I here stand for things and i believe in justice and don't be a bully except i'm gonna well, that, bully yeah, that's way funny is that he I brings want. is like you, you bring that up because i he did say in the promo about like he yep. called the magnificent seven bullies and it's like you're the one who fucking took a hostage <laughs> yeah he's like he's like he's like uh you're not gonna bully people anymore flair we're doing things my way and i'm just like yeah i'm the only one who gets to bully people around here i guess what 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 is the logic here and so so now he all he has all of his friends bullying the magnificent seven who are coming to exact you know kind of understandable revenge for the fact that you know he kidnapped rick flair's son yeah like you're supposed to kind of see this as like fun retribution for Ric Flair being a shitty heel asshole boss. And maybe I would feel a little bit more of that if I actually watched on a regular basis. But even if I didn't, kidnapping their, his son feels kind of fucked up in comparison. It's so weird, dude. Why was why was like 90s, why, why was wrestling up until the mid-2010s really weird about not understanding that doing shitty things while being a baby face doesn't make them morally okay why is that just a running threat i would (laughs) i would personally choose to blame stone cold steve austin for where that is in terms of 2001 at least okay that's fair because him being a shithead to Vince McMahon was like the biggest thing ever. Yeah. People don't people and, and then people saw that and decided to carbon copy it without thinking for a single second why it actually worked as well yep. as it did in the way it pretty did. Much, pretty much. Who Anywho, needs to think in wrestling? Nah. God. Oh. 
Let's just get this anyway. Eventually, Ric Flair runs out to interfere too, and that is what causes a dis a DQ. The ref throws that match out after Ric Flair starts throwing some chops that Nash doesn't even sell, and then he power bombs Rick uh, Ric Flair too. Get the whole family set here. Uh, and but then uh, Steiner grabs that pipe, that, that metal pipe, and just goes to town on Kevin Nash's knee. Yeah, yeah. Which it, uh, he didn't even he didn't even perform that attack very well. It looked light and fake, low key. And Nash is like, ah, oh, cartoon bah, selling bah. it. Ah, oh, like yeah, I'm sure you're in a lot of pain right now, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the show ends with uh, Steiner beating Nash's knee to death and then jaw jacking the crowd at the crowd. Oh, That's how we end the show. Oh, God. By, by Super Brawl this Sunday. Yeah, they kept having like random Super Brawl pop ups throughout the show. It was distracting. It was. Oh, man. This is some of the worst wrestling we've watched in a long time. Yep, it was a rough going. That was rough. Almost look, even, almost a little bit rougher than I thought it was going to be. Look, this feels repetitive in some way after I gave my official WCW wrap-up last week. But who cares about repetitiveness with WCW 2001? So I'm going to do it anyway. This is so fascinating to me. Because in both kayfabe and irl what is presented to me here via this episode both this episode specifically with the a story it has and with the episode generally representing what the fuck wcw was in 2001 before they got bought out by wwf is a company in shambles and that's so fascinating to me because wcw in kayfabe got big on a storyline about a company in shambles and from day one from their inception they've always a little bit been a company in shambles wcw's story is one of a company a messy disorganized company floundering not knowing quite how to keep itself sustained and trying to ride that roller coaster until it eventually flies the fuck off the rails and kills everybody but it it seriously it's it's so it's so insane to me that it almost it like it had to have been there there's it's it's wild to me that it wasn't on purpose that this mm-hmm. episode was presenting a company in shambles a company is slowly falling apart hell if they want to do this intelligently they could have done all the same shit but add a little bit of subtext about we know this is the end of our company and here comes WWF to save the day or whatever and actually make it about something. Make the chaos feel like it means something, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like this chaos is intentional. It doesn't feel like it's trying to say anything. It's a, it's a accidentally very poignant kayfabe visualization of what this company was like to work for for its entire mm-hmm. run. And here it is, the perfect bookend in the final death knells and hell the dependence on interference is even another is uh, as we were talking about earlier that's another great uh great visualization of this too in that it, it, it there things can't be done cleanly 
there is un there there's unrest and anarchy and uh, chaos anarchy doesn't mean chaos but like unrest and chaos in the locker room and nobody can get along and nothing's being done cleanly somebody please save this company it it carries that subtext very much by accident when that was really what was going on and mm-hmm. if they wanted to make smart writing decisions god they should have just leaned into that mm-hmm. and instead it's all just chaos because that's what you do that's wrestling in the, in the Attitude Era. Possible according to Vince Russo. Mm-hmm. Ah, fucking men. Ah, oh, boy. Look, I, I, have, I, have, I, I have to say... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, have a, I was going to say, this is definitely... Uh, uh, as, as fun as it was to do something with literally no prep time. Holy mm-hmm. moly. What a, what a rough particular episode of the week we have acquired here today. I, look... I promised that by the end of this all, I would make this mean something. Because, dear God, this was a painful one to sit through. Random, by golly, and what a random one for our fucking 50th episode. But all that said, if I may, if I, if I may be permitted to become a little sentimental here, there was something a little bit magical about slogging through this asswad of a show... In that, in some ways, it brings it back to where Austin and I started. Not not only on this podcast, but as friends. Of sitting down, sitting back, whatever, and just riffing on media things that we liked. That's kind of been our friendship from the beginning. Uh, we've been we we kind of have our own little custom MST3K going. Whether that be you know when we fucking first met at OTL shit doing doing uh, you know talking you know musicals and stuff together and making jokes about that shit, or sitting down with our friend group and making fun of old shitty really bigoted PSAs from the 60s or starting oh. off on this pod yeah oh that's a throwback or or starting off on this podcast and you know just starting off just kind of riffing on the shit we saw before we gained a lot of structure mm-hmm. <laughs> accidental theme there so in some ways this does this kind of is perfect for our 50th cuz it it bring it brings us back to where this all started and it's cool to experience that feeling once again every now and then cool it it is nice a little bit as a commemorative thing it's cool to share that with you my friend and it's cool to share with with everybody listening yep uh and it is it has been a fun ride to 50 episodes and of course as they here's the 50 more gotta get the old triple digits baby oh when we get to hundo it's gonna be great and we promise you it'll be a better show than this. I don't want to make that promise. Oh, come on. We can't randomize Hundo. We gotta do something. We gotta do something big and extravagant for Hundo. Uh that's a year away. I'm not thinking that's about a year it. Year away, I'm not thinking about it right now. But let's start the road to 100 with next week. And next week, oh, we finished an arc that has meant so much to me to get through. The NXT Horsewomen era. We come to our conclusion at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. And, and you know, I ended our last bit with the NXT when talking a lot about um, my feelings on this storyline. Is it meant to, like, the larger, broader picture? But now we've reached 
the part that probably has the most personal meaning to me. Because next time, our grand finale to this arc is my personal favorite match of all time. Oh shit! And I'm and I've been excited to share that on this podcast since we started this arc. Damn, that's good shit. I, I can't believe we're at the end of Women's Revolution, one of the best arcs we've ever covered. I oh man, this is gonna be good. Yep. Until then, David, hit our plugs. Absolutely, friends, my dear, dear, dear friends. Thank you for joining us on the 50th episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. We are so delighted to have you always, so especially uh, delighted to have you join us for this specific installment of our show. If you are a returning listener, viewer, what have you of ours, thank you so much for once again welcoming us back into your eardrums, your eyeballs for yet another round of the wacky wild world of wrestling if you are brand new welcome welcome to our show we're so happy to have you join us right at that right at this the road to hundo uh the, the back half to hundo starts uh we're so happy to have all of you with us uh we hope you've had a great time we here at the noobs and knockouts podcast like to think we cater to both noobs and knockouts alike so whether you're a veteran of the wrestling fandom or brand new to the whole the whole idea of this crazy wild thing called wrestling we hope you've had a great time with us and feel welcoming and feel feel like things are accessible around here if you have had a great time and you would like to continue to join us and you're not entirely sure how to do so well not to worry my friends i have you covered first of all you can follow us subscribe to us on youtube we are the noobs and knockouts podcast on youtube find us Hit subscribe, ring that bell, make sure it turns a nice little solid color so you get a notification every single time we drop a new episode. Check it all out. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all that good shit. Uh, add us to your playlist. Check out our playlist. Austin is kind enough to, on YouTube, organize all of the arcs we follow into their own individual special little playlist. So if there are any specific storylines you want to follow through on, just linear, straight through, not jump around or anything, you can do that. It's really nice. Check all of that out on YouTube. And plus, if you watch the more recent episodes, you get to see our lovely faces on screen as well. We started incorporating a video element to this all. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are, however, uh, much more a fan of the audio-only experience, well, we also have you covered there, my friends. You can find us on three of the best places to find your podcasts, and that are Spotify, Apple, and Google. Check us out on all three. Download us, rate us, review us, whatever the hell you do to, to, to tell those good old algorithms that, that these guys are fun to listen to. I like listening to them. More people should should like listening to them as well. Maybe push them out there a little more, recommend them. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a good time. Check us all out on Spotify, Apple, and Google uh, if you are a fan of the audio-only experience. Uh, it's a great time to put into your headphones and just, just vibe out with us for a little bit. huh? Uh, we are also on social media. There are kind of three main places you can get in contact with us. First of all, we are on Twitter. Uh, I'm pointing it to it now on screen if you're on YouTube. Uh, at Noobs and Knox Pod on Twitter. That's Noobs, the letter N, Knox Pod on Twitter. Uh, we like to, uh, that, that's kind of our main venue of social media. We like to engage with the broader wrestling fandom. Uh, we like to, we like to, uh, 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 drop memes, drop discourse, get involved in just kind of wrestling current events and discussions of, of what's going on. Uh, the big thing is we, uh, uh, we, we like to drop 
or we we post every single time we uh, we man I'm losing my my script here. We drop we post every time we drop a new episode, and of course the highlight of our Twitter is Austin live tweeting his weekly wrestling watching experience. My friend, what is on the docket coming up? Of course, uh, as is every week. Uh, uh, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on TNT is AEW Dynamite. I'm wearing an AEW shirt right now um, on on uh, the video f- format. Anyway, yeah. it is the one wrestling show I most consistently watch live every week, so I go ahead and just live tweet about that. And occasionally, David will get involved as well. Yeah, he's baby. also regularly watching Dynamite these days. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm the substitute, baby. Put me in, Coach. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And as on top of that, we have the regular WWE, AEW, and Impact Wrestling pay per views that we also cover every single time. Up next, upcoming is WWE Survivor Series, the one night a year where Raw and SmackDown go head-to-head, except for all those other nights where that (laughs) happens. Super shows don't exist. They don't. And this year is no different, is we're going to have a men's versus a Raw versus SmackDown men's elimination tag match, a women's elimination tag match. And we already know for sure that we are going to get Becky Lynch, the Raw women's champion, versus Charlotte Flair, the SmackDown women's champion, plus... Big E, the WWE champion, versus Roman Reigns, the universal champion. It's going to be pretty lit. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well with more matches probably to come. And that is, again, November 21st, live on Peacock. Uh, then you have Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill. There, That is January 8th, 2022. That will be available live on pay-per-view, but of course, it's still several months away. So, in fact, there isn't really any information to give for the time being, but we will continue to mention it on a weekly basis until it gets here. And then AEW, they will have, by the time this episode drops, they will have just finished AEW full year. I can't speak to it because we are recording this before that happens, but uh, that'll probably be a really great show. And uh, hopefully future me will not have to walk back that opinion. I highly doubt that. mm -hmm. And then their next pay-per-view will be sometime in 2022. They also like Impact Wrestling. AEW only does four pay-per-views a year. So we really don't have any new information about AEW's next pay-per-view. But when we do... affordable business model. It's true. We will, in fact, be bringing that up. But also true, based affordable business model. I remember the days when uh, WWE was doing monthly pay-per-views for $60 uh, pay-per-view. That was not great. I did a lot of piracy of them days. Mm. Anyway, that is what we will be live tweeting about uh, going forward. Yeah, so be sure to check all of that out. Uh, it is uh, it's a great time to uh, to watch Austin do his live tweeting. I'd like to say it's a pretty great time to watch me do live tweeting. But when it's Austin holding the reins, usually I have to mm-hmm. say from experience, great person to spend your time watching wrestling with. So even if it's mm-hmm. a digital only format, check that out. It's super fun to keep up with our live tweets on our Twitter. Uh, the next place you can get in contact with us is, of course, our email account. You can email us at noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com. That's noobs, the word and this time, knockoutspod at gmail.com. Come say hi to us. Tell us what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like, suggestions or, or requests for what you want to see on future episodes, special episodes, arcs, 
whatever the hell else tickles your fancy in the wrestling world. Uh, start discourse with us. Tell us that our hot takes are really dumb or that they're really smart. I'd kind of prefer the latter, but you know, do you, you do you. Uh, tell us, of course, how how lovely and beautiful and sexy you think our voices are and how they lull you to sleep at night after night. Um, just generally, come say hi to us on our uh, on our email. We love people saying hi. Uh, we'd love to come. We'd love to to say hi back. So if you want to get in more direct, long form contact with us, hit us up at noobsandknockoutspod at gmail And of course, finally, we are on Patreon. We are also the Noobs and Knockouts podcast on Patreon. One dollar a month gets you early access to episodes and a shout out at the end of each episode. See y'all next time. Hasta luego.